one of the one of the most important things I think that we can do as Christians is to be engaging in conversation. Um, it's how we build new friendships. It's how we build new relationships. It's how we present the gospel. It's how we encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we've titled this a conversation clinic, and kind of the subtitle I've given to this is how to love one another in conversation. And so before we get into the practical side of this, I want to talk about why this matters. So you might ask, why does it matter for us to know how to have a conversation? And we've kind of talked about this a little bit as we've announced this topic. We've talked about some of the, some of the whys, some of the reasons, um, but I want to get into that tonight from, from Scripture. So if you look at Romans chapter 5, Romans 5 verse 8, very simple verse that most of us know, I'm sure. It says, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if you ask, why do conversations matter? It's because in conversations, we initiate a relationship with someone else. And if we can do that well, we are actually modeling the way God works towards us. How many of us were worthy of God reaching out of heaven and touching us? None of us, right? The Bible is very clear that none of us deserve God extending his arm towards us, extending salvation towards us, yet God initiated. And so when we learn how to initiate well, we demonstrate that we understand the gospel. And so our, root, our rootedness in the gospel shows us that we know what it means to be on the receiving end of God initiating his love towards us. And so because I'm so thankful for all I've received in Christ, I want to turn around and do the same thing to others. The story of the gospel is the story of God pursuing a relationship with us when we were unwilling and unable to pursue a relationship with him. God's love extended outward to us when we were unlo unlovable. Just as Christ loved us when we were unlovely, we must be willing to step outside our comfort zone to love, love others. The idea of a clique is fundamentally opposed to the gospel. God wasn't cliquish. Within the Trinity, the relationship of the Trinity, God wanted us to join his fellowship. Within the, the heavenly host of angels, it wasn't enough to leave us outside of that. So God was not cliquish. He reached out to us in the gospel. Um, I don't know how, what your experiences are like going to different churches, but sometimes you can go to a church, um, and maybe you've been to a church like I have, and you walk in the door and you feel like, man, like, everyone here has their people, and I'm not one of their people. And you kind of feel left out. It's kind of an awkward feeling, right? And everyone has their friends, but I don't have friends, and I'm on the outside of everyone else's friend group. That's not a comfortable feeling. And you know, some people say that's cliquish. Um, you can say it's just rude. Um, but that is, again, fundamentally opposed to the idea of the gospel. God's love extends to every single human being, regardless of their social skills, regardless of their income level, regardless of their cultural background. And so if God's love extended to everybody, then we should extend our love towards everybody as well. And so having a click within the church is antithetical to the idea of the gospel. Just as the gospel is not about God's special few, it's about all. So if we believe the gospel, we have to believe that cliques are fundamentally sinful. And so then point two, the first one was because God loved us. Uh, because God loved us, and then point two, and these are on your, out, your handout. Um, I, for, I neglected to ask, did everybody get a handout? I know there's more in the lobby. Um, they tried to catch you all as you came in. Um, can I have a couple ushers grab? We've got some coming. So if you did not get a handout yet, raise your hand. We'll be using this, we will we'll be using this extensively tonight, um, so you'll want to have a copy of this in your hand. Um, so that first blank in your handout was point one there, because God loved us, <clears throat> and then point two is because Christ commanded us. And this is found over in John chapter 13, another very, very well-known passage. John chapter 13, verse 34 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So how can we demonstrate to the world around us that we are God's disciples? By loving one another. 
The Bible oftentimes refers to the church as, God, as a family. We are the family of God. We are the family of Christians. We are brothers and sisters. And so if we are a family, healthy families love each other. And healthy families love new members. Um, I remember when I was growing up, I come from a big family. I have 10 siblings. And I'm number two out of 11. And so I can remember many times mom and dad announcing to us that another sibling was on the way. And every time it was met with a lot of excitement. I, we always loved that announcement. And the reason why we loved the idea of a new sibling was because we weren't stingy with the love that was given to us. Mom and dad were generous in their love towards us. And so it wasn't like it was another person to compete with for resources or to compete with for love. There was more than enough love to go around. And so there was no jealousy or upset over a new sibling coming along. And so if we could translate that then to church, why would we be upset if someone comes in the door? Why would we be, why would we be standoffish? Why would we be rude? I think sometimes the reason we might be a little bit standoffish is because we're selfish in our, recip in our receiving of God's love. But if we love the way God, God wants us to, we are going to be glad to receive what he's given us and quick to pass it along. And Christ himself said, this is the mark of my disciples. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And so you say, maybe I'm an introvert or maybe I'm not great at conversation. Well, hopefully we can help you practically. But fundamentally, at a theological level, it doesn't matter what your personality type is. It doesn't matter what your giftedness is. If you understand the gospel, and if you understand Christ's design for the body of Christ, you're going to be going out of your way to love other people, and we're going to do that in conversation specifically. Um, many of you guys know Justin Corfidge. He was a student that was reached um, through our church from the University of Michigan. He came in here, walked in this building, and sat um, right on this side here as an atheist. And he and I are now really close friends, and we talk frequently. And I asked him at one point, what was it that stuck out to you? Like, what was your first impression coming into Ann Arbor Baptist Church? And he said the thing that amazed him was how many people came to him and said hello. And how people from all sorts of apparent social backgrounds, maybe even economic levels, he said some people that were maybe a little, little rough around the edges, some people that were maybe a little bit awkward came up to him. And that was not the least bit off-putting to him because he said there's something different about this. There's something so incredible about the gathering of the body of Christ. Think about other places where people might gather, maybe a sports game, maybe a concert. Why do people gather in those places? Are they gathering to encourage each other, to edify each other, to build each other up? Not really. They're there for a show. They're there to be entertained, to receive, to consume. The idea of the body of Christ gathering is fundamentally different than just gathering for a concert or gathering for a show or gathering for a sports game. We are gathering to edify each other. And so a way that we show our difference, again, from the world is by demonstrating our love and reaching out to each other and being friendly. God designed this family of his to be a mix of all levels of society. Income levels, education, race, cultural background, and personality all take a back seat to our primary identity, children of the king, brothers and sisters. So if we come into this place, if we sit in our seat and speak to no one, we've missed the commandment of our savior to love one another. And you might say, well, he didn't say to speak to one another, he just said love one another. You might say, I don't have to talk to love. Well, how healthy would any other relationship in your life be if you never talked to that person? How healthy is any friendship if you never talk to the person? How healthy is a marriage if you never talk to the person? How healthy is a relationship with a physical, biological brother or sister if you never talk to that person? Inherent in loving someone is talking to them. And the reason for that is because if I'm going to know your needs, if I'm going to know your dreams, how to pray for you, how to encourage you, how to help you, I have to talk to you. I can only get those things, get that vital information by talking to you. And so really, conversations are a core building block of this thing that we're in, which is the family of God, the body of Christ. And so that's why it is so important for us. And that's why conversation is a way that we love each other. 
again, regardless of our personality, regardless, regardless of our gifting, we can love each other well by talking to each other. And then point three here, another blank in your handout there, is because it's how relationships are built. It's how relationships are built. And this comes from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, which says, a man that has friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. How many of you guys have ever lamented that you don't have friends? I have. Well, you know what the Bible says? If you want to have friends, you have to show yourself friendly. I can remember my parents bringing this verse out to me. I remember complaining to them at one point, I don't have any friends. I'm like, well, who are you friendly to? I think sometimes we can come to church again with a little bit of a consumer mindset, thinking that it's the responsibility of the deacons or the greeters or the ushers or the staff to come up to me and make me feel like I'm welcome and make me feel like I have friends. And so my question to you is, are you coming here to consume or are you coming here to serve and to love? And so if we come in here just waiting for someone to walk across the room and say hi to me, you might wait all day. But if you get up out of your seat and go say, I'm going to go make a friend, that's a biblical thing. So if you're lamenting your lack of friends in church, then the responsibility really does fall on you. And I don't want to be overstepping and make, I don't want to be in your face and rude, but the fact is the Bible concept is clear. If you want friends, you must be friendly. And so um, maybe, you're, maybe there's one person in this church you're like, no, I really wish I could be that person's friend. Don't wait for that person to come say hi to you. Go say hi to that person. Ideally, we would all be initiating. We'd all be going out and reaching other people and meeting other people in church. But don't sit around and wait. And so that's how relationships are built in church. And then think about outside church as well. Um, God has people all around us that he wants us to share the gospel with. And I think sometimes we struggle because we think that, you know, how am I going to get from just where I am to presenting a very clear problem of sin, penalty of sin, the solution is found in Jesus Christ. How am I going to get to that, that presentation of the gospel? And a way that you can do that so well is just through friendships. It's just through relationships. And sometimes relationship evangelism gets a bad rap because people simply don't do it. But if we could actually use the relationships around us, if we could build relationships around us intentionally, it's amazing the doors that God would open with the gospel. I just picked up a book the other day by a, an author. That, uh, the, I think the topic of the book is how to have hard conversations. And this author is not a Christian. But he talked about being in a public place and observing this man um, who is engaging people with the gospel. And this, this unsaved author said he was intrigued by how this guy did it. The guy walked out to people and said, do you have a minute for a couple questions? And he would just ask them very normal questions, like, what are you up to today? What are you doing this weekend? And just very simple questions with no agenda. And he said by asking just about five questions with no agenda, he had built rapport with them so then he could shift to, what's your view of God? What do you think about eternal life? And so a way that we can build to the gospel is not by walking right to somebody out of the blue and being like, are you going to hell right now? Like, that can come off as a little rude, right? So there's a way to do this well, and that is by building rapport with people. We're not trying to do a bait and switch. This is not artificial. We should be doing this because I'm sharing the gospel because I actually care about people. And if I actually care about people, then I want a relationship with them. I'm not just hoping to shove a gospel pill down their throat and run away. I want to have a relationship with this person. And so that's another way that God can use our skills of conversation to glorify himself and to build his kingdom. So how will you build up your brothers and sisters if you can't talk to them? How will you bring new people into the family if you don't talk to them? And so um, one more thing about, a couple more things about our philosophy of conversations. On your um, handout there as well, there's another blank. The question is, what fuels good conversationalists? What fuels good conversationalists? I think we can sometimes see people that are good at conversation and just think that it's just kind of a magic skill they were born with. There's actually an underlying thing here that if we can figure it out, it'll help a lot of us, I think, in being good at conversations. And the simple answer is curiosity about others. Curiosity about others. That's your blank there. Give you a second to write that down. 
And I think these people that we look at sometimes who seem so good at conversation really aren't like silver-tongued orators. They just are curious about the person they're talking to, and they know how to ask more questions. They know how to key off of a commonality, and we'll talk about some of those things in a bit. Um, this is the fundamental motivation that helps us engage other people in successful conversations. Curiosity about others overrides my natural hesitancy about striking up conversations with strangers. I know I've had times before where I'm maybe in an elevator or in a situation where I'm in close proximity to somebody I don't know, and I always feel this battle inside of me, like, should I say something? Should I strike up a conversation? And I can tell you, I never regret striking up a conversation with someone. It's really amazing. Every single time I've struck up a conversation with somebody, um, they end up being a nice person. They're not gonna bite me, they're not mean, they're not rude, and they're actually really grateful that someone they just ran into, someone they just bumped into, showed a little bit of interest in them. And so having curiosity about others will really um, take us a long way as we develop our skills in conversation. So why should we be curious about other people? Why should we be curious about others? First, because God has made that person and cares about them. There have been many times when I have no motivation to be curious, much less try to engage in conversation with other people. So what do I do? And oftentimes in that situation, all I do is say, God, give me your love for that person. And if I can see people as God sees them and know that God made that person and loves them, then he can inspire in me his love for that person. And oftentimes that gives you that little bit you need to recognize I should reach out to this person. I should just strike up a conversation with this person. So God made that person and cares about them. Number two, they have a life that's every bit as rich and complicated as my own. Sometimes we are all caught up in our own thoughts and feelings, and we forget that the people we see around us have their own hopes, feelings, fears, ideas, and stories. Um, maybe if you are walking down a city street, we kind of just pass all these faces, right? You might look at someone, maybe someone stands out because they have striking clothing on, or maybe um, someone has unusual clothing on, or you know, sometimes we notice faces, but we, we often don't think about, this is a person with a full and rich life, and they're carrying around with them their own burdens, their own worries, their own challenges, their own goals and aspirations. How incredible is that if we can think about this person has a whole world that they've experienced that I could tap into and I could get to see this person um, their, and their perspective. And then number three, they have a unique outlook on life that can broaden my own life experience. Uh, a few years ago when I was working full-time on the ambulance in Milwaukee, um, I was transporting a patient and the patient's daughter was traveling with her and I started a conversation with the lady and asked her about her work, and she said she was a flight attendant. And I said, like, okay, that's really cool. What do you, like, what's the craziest thing you've seen on an airplane? She's like, well, funny you should ask, actually, because she said, I was working on September 11th, 2001. And she said, we were flying um, over New York City, and all of a sudden, with no warning, our pilot banked the plane very quickly, and we could look down and see the city below us, and we saw the plane hit the North Tower. And she actually ended up writing a book about her experience because, you know, from there, her life became quite chaotic and all the planes were grounded and it was quite an experience. And I got a glimpse into this lady's fascinating story and her amazing life just by asking a question about her work. And there's people that we pass all the time. There's people that, um, I think of like World War II veterans that are passing off the scene and their stories are going to die with them. And some of them are dying to talk to somebody. They have such a rich world of experiences that they would love to share with somebody. And so if you just show a sliver of interest in them, in their life, in their story, man, what an incredible door that could open. And that could be a door maybe to meet a Christian who's had an incredible experience, or maybe to meet someone who needs Christ, and you can share the gospel with them as well. Um, you don't know how God wants to use other people's perspectives in shaping you to be more like him. And so that's another value in recognizing that other people have a unique outlook on life that could broaden our own experiences. And then number four, everyone is lonely. If you don't have friends, make friends. 
don't wait for people to approach you, approach other people. And again, I mentioned this earlier, but sometimes people lament they don't have friends. Well, if you're lonely, go make a friend. Go walk across the room and, and introduce yourself to somebody you don't know yet. And then a common objection that people will bring up is, what if I'm an introvert? Even introverts have friends, right? And how did you get your friends? How did you get the friends you have? Someone had to start the conversation. And so even if you're an introvert, be that person just to start a conversation. Knowing your personality type should help you know your limitations, but it should not be a crutch. All right, so now what we're gonna do is we're gonna transition to a panel. I'm excited about this. We're gonna have a few people that are experts in conversation, not really, somewhat, um, come up. And I've already talked to you guys, so if, you, if I talk to you guys about um, being on the panel, go ahead and come on up. We've got a microphone for them. And so I've got a few questions for each of them, um, or for the panel, and they can discuss it and toss around and take turns. And then if you, if you have questions in your mind as well, be thinking of those, and I'll give you all an opportunity as well um, to ask some questions. So I've got a few here to start. Um, Pastor CJ is here, good, great. All right, so um, by show of hands first, before we start, am I blocking the view? By show of hands, how many of you would say you are an extrovert? None of you. Anybody care to expound? Pastor, you're good at talking to people. You're not an extrovert? You're not an extrovert? I don't feel like one. Um, I mean, I think I have to talk because of my profession. Mm -hmm. And so um, and I do enjoy learning about people. I discovered that traveling and evangelism, that if I would just ask a question about what do you do? Like the lady who you mentioned, you learn all kinds of cool things about people. Uh, so that you get more comfortable doing it, but it still doesn't mean that things have changed inside. I still don't feel like an extrovert or just like a conversationalist, though I do enjoy talking with people, but it's, it's been learned compared to where I started when I preached my first sermon and it took 60 seconds, and I sat down when I was 15, I think, <clears throat> and I was scared to death. And I was in my dad's office crying before I went up to preach that message. So anyway, yeah, I don't feel like I'm an extrovert. Maybe else want to weigh in on your extroversion or introversion. I'm curious, um, out here, how many of you would say that you feel like an extrovert? Anybody? Anna Burt, unsurprisingly. Just leave a, a few. This is gross. Yeah, there's a few of us. I think most of us probably would not identify as extroverts. And I, you've probably heard this before, but um, kind of the classic way to tell the difference is um, if you are in a crowd and you feel energized, like it gives you energy, you're probably an extrovert. If you're in a crowd and you look forward to getting home and scratching your cat and sipping your tea, maybe not cat or tea, but you look forward to like retreating from a crowd, then you're probably an introvert. Um, I can be a little bit of both, but anybody else care to share? And it, it's not that I don't enjoy fellowship. Mm -hmm. I actually very much enjoy it um, and engaging in deep conversations. But as you said, Pastor Drew, it, it takes the energy out of me for whatever reason. And I have to get alone to recharge. But then if I'm alone too long, I start to feel very lonely and I crave that, that fellowship again. So definitely introverted, but I recharge when I'm alone. Yeah, good. Anybody else? All right. She is really excited to be up here. <laughs> yeah, you know you're an introvert when you're dying up here. <laughs> um, no, I, I would not um, 
uh, many people have said to me, uh, you know, that they, they thought I was a extrovert, but I definitely, um, my social cup gets drained real fast. <laughs> so, um, and I have to be recharged, and it takes longer for me to recharge than him. But um, I, um, but I, I think that um, has helped me realize that, um, like you had mentioned earlier, that it's not um, an excuse but it's really re something that I got to overcome because I am a Christian and uh, we're all called to be ministers. So it's something that I've prayed about and realized that's not something I can just claim as yeah. an excuse. So. That's great. All right, a related question. Is there something? Related question is how many of you enjoy conversation versus how many of you find it hard work? How many of you enjoy conversation versus how many of you find it hard work? By enjoy, I mean like it's just like natural and easy and fun. Okay. I have to give props to my mom because I was a person that was so thankful. ATMs came out, you bag your own groceries, <laughs> you don't have to go, you know, you don't have to talk to anybody, that's yeah. me. Um, but my mom talked to everyone. And it, it was horrifying to me actually <laughs> growing up. I was really, uh, I could still blush thinking about the conversations. but my sister as well. They came back with the coolest stories about people. Like, wow, how'd you get to know that? Well, they talked to them. And so as I've gotten older, I, I've come to an appreciation about that, that um, people really do have great stories. And the only way that you can ever get to know somebody is by initiating a conversation or having a conversation. So yes, it's still work. It's not something that I prefer to do, but I really enjoy yeah. getting to know somebody. So the work is totally worth it. Great. Anybody else? I, I think I would echo that. Like I was, I remember being horrified, like mom, you're talking to everybody. But then there was always the great reward of, oh, she does have a lot of stories and people are so interesting. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it was at the old Ann Arbor Baptist, like just feeling that great responsibility of I re these people that are coming, it's my responsibility to, to reach them. Like I, that young lady coming through the door, I need to engage with them because th maybe nobody else will, or I represent the Lord to that person. I want to, I, I felt the responsibility of reaching people. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the, the point about responsibility and taking responsibility. So I would say, Conversations to me are still hard work, but anything you work at, you get more comfortable with, and you can enjoy more. So I would say I do enjoy conversations now, but I've definitely worked my way into that. But I do see it as a responsibility. And if you're the pastor of the church and you don't talk to anybody uh, ever, then you're missing out on opportunities, right? Um, but I think everybody in here, the Bible says that we're members one of another. So really, we really all should carry the responsibility, not say, oh, he looks down, she looks depressed, but someone told will be there you know, to talk to him. Uh, don't pass the buck, just see it as, as a good opportunity. That's good, I really love to emphasize that, what both you said about responsibility, it's so true. Like, you think about the different settings where people walk into our church services, um, and you may not feel like the best greeter or the most outgoing person, but if you've crossed paths with somebody you don't know, maybe it's God's will for you to say hi, and welcome to church, and come sit with me, you know? It's so incredible how God, God may even have a great friendship for you um, in that, and, make them feel welcome in a place where they're going to be fed and nourished and blessed. Um, sorry, go ahead. I remember in high school being like the most likely person to be overlooked and forgotten before I was saved. I was not 
an extrovert at, in any way at all. And I had a friend who taught me the skill of saying hi to people. And that kind of started a journey of realizing that being friendly and having conversations with people is not a, a you know, a genetic makeup, but a set of skills that, you know, like you said, to be worked on and hone and Absolutely. be able to be friendly. So. Yeah. I'm gonna move on to the next question for sake of time here. When you're making a conversation, or you're making conversation, do you have a plan in mind or do you just go for it? Like, do you have kind of a, a formula you follow or you just wing it? I have a formula. Care to share? If I just wing it, I'll make myself look super stupid. <laughs> and then even if I plan, I still can be, still come out super stupid. But I do have to think through, it's not natural to me, like in the foyer afterwards, um, at a funeral, I have to think ahead of time, what are some things that this person's feeling and what are some questions I can ask or things I can say that would not add to their sorrow. Mm -hmm. But then out here in the lobby, I'm trying to remember something I've prayed for in the person and say, hey, how was the surgery? Or, and sometimes I forget your surgeries, guys, I'm sorry. Uh, I do pray for them. Um, but try to think of something specific that I can circle back to, something we've talked about last week, how did that go? But I, I'm, I'm thinking of specific things, and I take notes in my Bible afterwards, uh, in, in, in my notes of yeah. things that people tell me on the way out the door, so that I can follow up on that and so forth. But I don't, for me, it's not like natural. I have to think through uh, uh, some specific things to, to help me make conversation. Yeah. yeah, taking notes is not a crime in the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, you guys know evangelist Dave Young, he's a good friend of mine, I'm gonna tell one of his secrets. But the reason he always remembers everybody's names when he goes to churches is because every service he has a four by six card in his pocket. And during the song service, he writes down every name of the people he talked to before the service. And then after the service, he writes down every name. And then before he goes, goes back to that church, he pulls out his four by six card. So sorry, brother Dave, if I'm telling your secrets. Mm. Um, but like, it's okay to take notes. It helps you be a better conversationalist. It helps you be a better friend. So, yeah, it's good. Um, I think the plan I always have is smile, um, look at them, try to remember their name. Which that's I didn't know that about Dave Young, but that's really helpful because <laughs> he always has remembered our names. Um, and just a genuine "How are you?" and then listen to the answer. Yes. You know, so that you can acknowledge whether their pain or you know, or, you know, it's, it's, some people might give a, like, oh, God is good, you know, like, okay, all right, you know, like, a clue, like, they might be struggling, you know, or something that you could dive in a little bit deeper, or, but just a genuine, being genuine, smiling, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. All right, next question is um, a little more practical now. What are hindrances to good conversations? I will say one hindrance to a good conversation is thinking what you're gonna answer that person instead of paying attention and really tuning in to what they're saying. If you pay attention, the next question will come naturally, but if you're just thinking about how you're gonna answer, then it's really hard to have, yeah. you're having a conversation with yourself. Agenda, and, and what I mean by that, it kind of ties into your last question. If my goal in having a conversation with someone is to have them like me, to feel more popular, or even if it's just to get them the gospel, because we can show a disinterest in the person because I have a, an agenda. 
And if your goal is to make the person feel loved, they're more, the, more likely to listen to the gospel or and get, like you. They will like you if you make them feel loved. And so a goal in my conversation is I want to make this person feel loved. And you've all had experiences with customer services, customer service. You've had good experiences and bad experiences. And I think the difference is the good experiences with customer service is when you felt like the person on the other line was on your side. They were genuinely interested in your problem and they voice, I'm gonna to get to the bottom of this. No, this isn't right, I'm gonna to, to help you. And you felt like they were your friend. You really felt loved um, and there's a connection and you just, you like that person. Um, I, I'll be quick, I used to Google things like how to be more interesting, <laughs> how, how to be liked by people. I have a Napoleon complex, I'm short, sometimes I feel ignored, right? But I realized that my goal was all wrong because it was all about me. And if I just make my goal, when I engage people, make them feel loved, they will like you. So. That's good. Yeah. So just to add to that, uh, hindrances, um, just being self-absorbed. If I am self-absorbed, that's what you were saying, but if I'm self-absorbed, then uh, that's gonna hinder the conversation and it's also stressful to be self-absorbed because the whole time I'm thinking, does he like me right now? Am I annoying her right now? Or does she, you know, you're, you're thinking about all this stressful stuff that has to do with you, but if you really just care about the person, then you just relax and ask them, How, how's your day, what's going on? And my wife said something real simple and real easy, hindrance is. Oh, <laughs> I, I'm distracted, usually not knowing where my kids are at the time. So if I'm talking to someone, any of you, and I'm like looking off, it's probably because I'm wondering where my kids are. Kids. <laughs> going to say on that just I think exact just to echo that is just really you're not thinking about yourself at all because if, if there's anything about me like how do I sound right now any of that anyway I just I could definitely echo that your thought can't be about yourself at all that's good Pastor Barber you mentioned something the other day regarding hindrances conversations about um, not pulling your weight in conversations so care to expand on that yeah so just remember that conversation is a two-way street and so if you want to have a good conversation Sometimes you're with a conversationalist who will just carry the whole thing, but that's still kind of one-sided. And so, you know, pull your weight in the conversation, add to it. Otherwise, um, the conversation can be laborious. And also, good conversationalists are good at asking you questions about your life, but they have a life too, and wouldn't mind if you asked a couple questions about their life. Yeah, good. I think a good conversation is a little bit like a tennis match. You receive, you listen, you go, oh, okay. And then you might respond with a follow-up question, like, oh, did you mean, like, acknowledge what they've said? And then, oh, is this what you mean by that? Or, you know, and then that gives them a chance to ask you a question back, but it's a back and forth. It's not all about me, you know, yeah. like, or, or even my strong opinion. You know, Peter and I were talking about this, like, today is like, it's not like, I like green beans, you know? Well, that's a conversation killer. You know, it's just like, whoa, thank you for sharing that, but you know, where do I go from there? Thank you very much. That's, that's true, that happens. If, you, if, you're, if you're too overly dogmatic in a conversation, it can just end the conversation, and then you can accidentally make the person start walking on eggshells. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just offended them, oh no. And then no conversation happens when you feel like you're walking on eggshells or 
as one author called it, the delicate art of dancing with porcupines. <laughs> you know, as soon as you're doing that, conversation just dwindles. So don't be overly, it has to be this way. Try to have some give and take. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, next question is, what do you do about awkwardness in conversation? This could be maybe an awkward topic that's brought up or it could be an awkward silence. Um, how do you handle awkwardness in conversations? I draw attention to it and make them feel stupid. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Write that down and cough it off. No, actually, if you are loving people, then you want to ignore whatever was, like it, maybe they did say something stupid. You know, we sometimes will just do that. You just kind of fix it for them. Oh, you meant, you know, you just kind of weave it in instead of, ah, that was dumb. Everybody, you know, did you hear that? Uh, but just try to, try to be on their team. In fact, I'll say this. The staff does that for me all the time. I set myself up for stupid multiple times, and they could, like, grill me, and they'll just be like, you know, just help Pastor. He meant to say this. <laughs> he meant to do this. Uh, Rachel Burt is a is a is a uh, you know very good at that, helping save the day. Well, here's what Pastor meant. Uh, you know, let's go this way. Um, but don't be afraid of awkward. We're all we all love each other, so it's all good. We'll just work through it. You know. Anybody else? Acknowledge it and move on. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be there. Everybody's yeah. awkward, yeah. you know? We all are awkward, mm -hmm. so I laugh about it if it's yourself. If you just said something stupid, then mm -hmm. you know, that was stupid, you know? And then, <laughs> I don't know, it just makes people feel more comfortable. Sometimes the awkward becomes a good story, too, later in the friendship, like <laughs> recently, when I thought I heard someone invite me over to lunch, and they had not invited me to lunch, and I texted and said, I'm on my way. And they said, great, it was Mrs. Muzzy. <laughs> That's and awesome. I showed up at the house thinking I was invited for lunch, and I was not. But they had me for lunch anyway, so. It was great, yeah. And it was awkward, and it was very awkward. I was quite embarrassed. And now we laugh about it, so. Sometimes you get a free meal out of awkward, yeah. you never know. And it was delightful, we loved it. So. The point, too, sometimes you need to laugh about the right. thing that you just did that was right. silly. And if you're, you don't have to be a stand-up comic. You just, just, hey, that was funny, now we yeah. move on. I still get embarrassed and we still laugh about it. All right. Um, the last question we have for the panel is, what do you do to end a conversation, or how do you end a conversation? Go ahead. I've seen this in action um, at Daniel's school at BCM, and I've actually learned it there, that the students are really genuine about engaging, and then say, oh, God bless you, I gotta go, or you know, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll see you later, I'll talk to you later. And so it, it just grace because they're busy and they just gracefully wrap it up and then excuse themselves. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be like, oh, I gotta go and what do yeah. I say? You know, I don't, right. you know, it doesn't have to be a traumatic moment. Yeah. Just a yeah. If I could just add in, don't you know, don't just turn around and walk away. That's kind of right. awkward. Yeah. Um, but like, especially here at church, there's a lot of people to talk to. And so if you've had a good conversation with someone, it's perfectly acceptable to say, hey, I really enjoy getting to know you a little bit. I gotta catch some other folks before service starts or before I leave. You know, so that's a good way to end the conversation. Anybody else? So, I mean, leaving the door open for future connection, um, you know, letting them know I really enjoyed this. Hey, can we connect again real soon? Letting them know that you are interested in them so that they don't walk away going, boy, that was abrupt and I'll never engage them again. Yeah. Just leaving that door open. Yeah. There are times, too, where I have to end a conversation abruptly because I have to preach. Sorry, guys. I've probably done this to several of you. 
where literally CJ's leading the singing and I just came out of the bathroom and I'm getting ready to come in here and someone catches me about something. And uh, so I try to listen and I'm hoping they're going to be 15 seconds and done. It doesn't happen in 15 seconds. So I just say, hey, you know, I got to run, but let's talk after the service. And so you're not just shutting them down, but you're able to, um, you know, postpone that. But also Dave Young taught me this. Should I mention it? Yeah, this will like, blow my cover. No, I better not. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll go ahead. Uh, this is awkward. Um, this might sound like a joke, but it actually is, is, is needed and effective. Sometimes there's a conversation that goes on very, very long that you, you can't get out of, and you need to move on. You've got an appointment, you've got something, and you've made some hints. Well, I, I, I got this appointment, and well, I got to do you know, and it, it. Nothing is working, and you're stuck in a long conversation, and the person's got needs and so forth. So Dave Young taught me to rap, R-A-P, Random Acts of Prayer, where you just, hey, you know what? What they really need at that moment is prayer. We've talked long enough, you know, joking aside, they've got a huge need we can't land the plane. We all need the Lord here. They need the Lord. I need the Lord. We need, I need to go. You need, so let's just pray about it. And there's something about, honestly, when you pray about it with someone, it just brings the conversation to a close. They get peace. They feel rest. My, my, my pastor or my friend just prayed with me, and I've given it to the Lord, and we're done. And they, can, they feel uh, heard and helped, and you're able to move on, and so close with prayer. Okay, that's good. All right, let's give our panel a big thank you. You guys can have a seat again. All right, so I promised we would be super practical tonight. So our last thing we're going to do, we don't have a ton of time left, but if you look at your handout, there's um, a section called Levels of Conversation. And this is actually super helpful when we get into a conversation. Um, sometimes I go, I'm guilty of going too deep too fast, where I share a detail that maybe should have been saved for a good friend. Um, and so this is helpful, just a little guide to how we engage in conversation. So level one is small talk. That's your blank there, small talk. And it's really simple. Start with a smile and hello. Pay a compliment. You can say, hey, I like your shoes, or whatever, something like that. Be creative. Um, so start with a smile and hello, pay a compliment, and then get a whiff, um, W-H-I-F. Work, what do you do for work? History, where are you from? Interests, what do you do for fun? Family, tell me about your family. So that's a gr those are safe topics just to start a conversation with. Um, and then listen and take note of common ground or discussion points. So as they're talking about these things, um, think, oh, that's interesting. Like, uh, let's say a person says um, that she's a major in fashion and sustainability. And you can say, you know, I'm not sure exactly what that means. So I'll ask, can you tell me more about that major? Um, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with that industry. What sort of career do you hope to work in after that? So that's um, a way you take what they're talking about and uh, keep the conversation going. And then respond to their questions with more than one word. We talked about that a little bit. If they say, are you a student? You say, yes, I'm a junior majoring in, or no, I graduated in 2015, now I work as. Don't just say yes or no, because that's a conversation killer. Um, if they say, how was your week? You say, it was good. I had some neat projects at work that took up a lot of time, or it was quiet, nothing remarkable happened, but that's okay. So um, don't just respond, respond with one word. And then practice scooping. You don't have to make friends alone. Scoop another friend into the conversation. View your church friends not as just us or just as a clique, but as your conversation team. If inviting someone out to lunch scares you, say, my friends and I are grabbing lunch after church. Do you want to join us? The more the merrier. And this is, again, a way that we expand our cliques, and we don't just stick to our same small group of close friends. 
Um, so if you're scared talking to a friend, or meeting a new friend, scoop another friend into the conversation. So now what we're gonna do is we're actually going to try it. So now you try. Find someone you don't know or you don't know well, and I'm gonna be strict with this. Please do not just talk to your best friends already or your spouse. Um, find someone you don't know and practice small talk, so go. Everyone stand up. Very good. Hey, it was a success, guys. I think we all made some new friends. We all introduced ourselves. We got a little comfortable, hopefully, with a new face. Um, so that's small talk. That was easy, right? Is everybody still alive? Nobody died? We're all, we're all making it so far? Good. So that's how we do it, guys. That's how you meet a visitor. That's how you meet a new person. That's how you say hello at the grocery store. There are any number of uh, ways in your life that you can use this skill we just practiced. So now let's move to level two, which is getting to know you. So now we want to capitalize on exploring what they've already shared. And this is where you might say, man, I have no idea. Like, you know, we had a couple students coming for a while that were nuclear engineers. And you might think, I don't know the first thing about nuclear engineering. Capitalize on that. It's okay that you don't know much about nuclear engineering. Go up to the person and say, I know you, you are a nuclear engineer PhD. Tell me what that looks like. Tell me what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. And so you capitalize even on the areas that you don't know much about. And again, use your curiosity to drive questions. And then number two, invite people into your life. Relationships are built on shared experiences. I mentioned Justin Corfidge earlier. He walked in here on a Wednesday night. He was here, yeah, he's here on a Wednesday night. That Saturday, me and some friends were gonna go kayaking. And so I said, hey, we're going kayaking this weekend, this Saturday, you should come. Um, and he came, and that was the beginning of a great friendship. And that's how you build relationships, is through shared experiences. Um, it can be even as small as carpooling to an event together. I remember one of the first times I had a long conversation with Colin Maynard. It was actually whenever uh, he was carpooling with me to a young adult event. So um, it's a great way just to get to know someone a little better. It's less intimidating, too, because you're sitting side by side, not staring at each other. So for those of you that are a little more uncomfortable with that personal conversation, personal contact, it's a little uh, less confrontational. And then number three, ask long-range questions. For example, what kind of job are you going for with that degree? Or where do you see yourself in five years? Or what are your career goals? Do you see yourself staying in this industry for your whole career? So you're asking more long-range questions instead of just immediate what um, immediate gain to know you. And again, um, capitalizing on um, the conversations you had in your small talk. So for sake of time, we're not gonna try this because um, we're almost out of time here. Um, so after the service, find your new friend you just made and go up to them and start moving towards getting to know you a little better. Um, level three is what matters to you. What matters to you? And this is where someone is becoming really a close friend. And again, you're not gonna get into these questions in maybe your very first conversation with someone, maybe not even your third, fourth, or fifth. You might not know, you may know, it may not be until you've known someone for a couple months until you get into some of these questions. But these are really great, question, great questions to develop a deeper friendship. Um, ask thoughts and feelings questions. What are your thoughts about that? How does that make you feel? Ask questions that drive to our core values. I love this, this idea. Um, there's so many ways that as we get to know people better, we can drive towards our values, which is that Christ is at the center of our life and God's word informs everything we think about. Um, so for instance, how did you sense God in that moment? How does this fit into the story of your life? What do we know about God that informs the way we think about that? That's a longer question, but it's one of my favorites. I love um, when you're maybe with a friend and you're grappling with a circumstance or a challenge they're going through, ask, reorient it to God and ask, what do we know about God that would help us think biblically or properly about the situation? And that really helps us untether a lot of confusion and challenges, and that's really where you build a close friendship, too. Oftentimes, as you go through a trial with someone, as you walk through a challenge with someone, and you both learn to filter your thoughts through God's word and through the character of who God is, it really knits your hearts together, um, and so that's a really valuable question. 
This question applies to news stories, political arguments, philosophy, personal circumstances, et cetera. Um, everyone says, you know, steer, steer clear of religion and politics in conversation. I love getting into religion and politics in conversation. Why not? Um, if we believe we have the answers to everything, then dive into the conversation. It's fun. Um, and then ask best or worst questions. For example, what is the best memory you have from growing up in California? Or what's the worst crisis of your faith you've ever experienced? And again, these are conversations that are getting us to really a deep level of friendship with someone. Um, you probably wouldn't ask that on a first conversation, but it's a, it's a good way to go deeper with someone. And then number four, get vulnerable. Looking back on how my closest friendship started, it required taking risks. It's risky to be vulnerable about your journey, your insecurities, your failures, et cetera. But when you open up, it gives the other person permission and confidence to do the same. And then finally, be willing to laugh at yourself. Um, you heard a couple of us do that tonight on the platform, talk about times we blew it in a conversation or times we didn't handle a social situation well. It's okay to laugh at yourself. And that makes, that shows that you're real. It shows that you're not just putting on a facade and not just trying to impress someone and pull a fast one. Um, so if we can be real in these conversations, it'll help us as well. Um, so uh, we have this, this spot, a spot here for us to try, but again, for sake of time, we're not gonna do that. Um, so I hope this helped tonight. I hope this was practical for all of us. Again, our goal in doing this is not just to be sociable, likable people. Our goal in doing this really is to glorify God by doing what he designed us to do in the body of Christ and doing what he designed us to do in the community around us. So I trust you learned a thing or two tonight. Um, I Thanks again to our panel that was able to help us tonight. Um, so, yeah, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor Drew. Amen. Well, I had fun with that. Uh, and I know that that is something we should circle back to again, I think. And we were brainstorming about this a little bit. There's all sorts of different avenues that we can even dial in more uh, to this. Like just specifically talking about <coughs> comforting someone who's grieving. Just even that alone would be a, a great topic. Uh, but um, your homework, you do have homework. He didn't mention it outright. But the, your homework is uh, out after church, through the week, next Wednesday, Sunday, find somebody to talk to. And just let God use you. The more you are curious about them and genuinely interested in them, and the less concerned you are about yourself, the better you're going to do with conversation. It's as simple as that. And you might be like, hey, this person's boring. This person's not interesting. I don't want to talk to this person. Well, remember, back to what he said, God created this person. They are unique and God loves them, and you will be surprised what you find when you get to know one of God's children. So uh, looking forward to that. And, and then Brother Drew, Pastor Drew told me that everyone's going over to the Muzzies for dinner after this, so we're excited about that. So, <laughs> no, Just kidding. Hey, you know, I'm glad you shared that because we need to just laugh at some of our foibles, and that's part of what keeps us from venturing out in conversation. We're so afraid of a foible uh, that we won't even venture out, but it's good to, it's good to just be, be, uh, be who you are and don't be uh, afraid of that. Uh, two things I wanted to mention. There was a kid in high school when I grew up. He was as shy and introverted as they come and awkward, and he grew too fast, and when you grow too fast, everything just He's just awkward. And uh, he got burdened about uh, his shyness and his awkwardness, and he, he wanted to overcome. And I don't know what possessed him to do this, but he came to me once and said, John, God has put on my heart 
every single service, I'm going to shake the hand of everybody in the whole church. Now, we had about 75 people in church. Uh, but still, for a shy kid, that was a big deal. You know who I'm talking about, right, Nate? My brother Nathan's here with his family, and uh, glad to have them for Memorial Day. Uh, but his name was Aaron, and he went around, and he shook the hand of everybody, and he ended up being like our greeter, the greeter of the church. And he became very personable, very warm, very, he grew into it. Sometimes you just have to take a step of faith and say, I'm going to greet visitors. Uh, Lord, help me today to greet two visitors. Help me today to, to strike up a conversation with someone that looks like they're hurting and I can talk to, maybe pray with, uh, and just take, a, take a, a moment. And then uh, pray for them. If you tell someone you're going to pray for them, pray for them, right? Um, one more story, and I'll be done. Uh, when I was on the evangelistic team before I was married, and it was my first time traveling with Dr. Jim, uh, he would take us to Christian schools, and during the lunchtime, he would say, guys, I'm going to take you to the lunchroom, and you're going to go have lunch with the students, and uh, go M&M, is what he called it, mix and mingle. Go M&M. And I was literally scared to death to go into, as a, I was a uh, junior in Bible college, I was a junior Bible college going into a lunchroom with high schoolers and just scared to death. They all had their cliques. They were cool. I'm a college student. They don't want me to be there. And uh, nobody was really friendly. It's not like, that. oh, come sit with me. No, they'd see me come in. It's like, Ugh. you know, and they'd hunker up. And Dr. Jim was, was relentless. He'd just stand and watch us. Go in there. Get back in there. Get, I want you to learn their names. And they would make all kinds of, they would, they would make you feel foolish. They'd say their name was Steve and the name was Bob. So you'd be calling the guy Steve all week and you can't figure out why people are laughing at you. But after a while, when I realized it's not about me, it's about them, I could just laugh it off. So I got the wrong name. Oh, well, laugh. Just get to know them. Get curious. Be interested in them. That was a great discipline, going to high school lunchrooms and having to have conversations. So dive in. You're not supposed to be gifted. You don't need a certain personality. What he said was so helpful. Take this and review it. I think it would be a help.